Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Oh, just having a Ben Drowski show as I speak. It is what? Oh my goodness. It's uh, Thursday, July 14th, 2022. I cannot believe, man, just every, I keep saying that every show, every time I look at it, the date, uh, the, the date, like, shoom. Man, time is zipping into the future, uh, to quote one of my distinguished guests' favorite song from back in the day. Uh, here's a headline uh, in the newspaper uh, that's not really relevant, but kind of relevant, uh, tangentially uh, relevant. Uh, mayoral challenger Wilson takes aim at violent crime. Willie Wilson running for mayor uh, in the city of Chicago. Municipal elections in February 23 and has decided that um, vowing to get even tougher a crackdown on crime is the winning ticket. Uh, and that seems to be the general. Willie Wilson is essentially a Republican. I don't believe he's actually declared himself as a Republican, but uh, he voted for Donald Trump and Bruce Rano, so that kind of makes you a Republican. Uh, so that seems to be uh, the ticket uh, that the Republican Party uh, has decided uh, it must uh, own in order to defeat Democrats, uh, taxes, and crime. So Willie Wilson is doubling down on that one. Uh, so that'll be an interesting introduction for the conversation I'm about to have with my distinguished guest. And I'm wasting no more of your time, ladies and gentlemen. Get right to it. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hey, Ben, it's great here to be with you. Uh, this is State Senator Rob Martwick. Um, it's been a while, but back to chit-chat about all the interesting things that have been going on in Illinois politics. Yes. Uh, and uh, the last time you came on this show, I remember it, we talked about that you, uh, you were being challenged. Uh, and I just want to set this up, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Martwick really knows politics, okay? Uh, he comes from a political family. He's been in the game for a long, long time. He's got an obsessive interest in it, a detailed knowledge of it. Uh, Rob, if you ever leave politics, uh, one day you will have your own podcast, and I will be your guest. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind uh, that you probably have, end up doing that. Um, and the reason... I, 
I have an agenda. I told Rob, I'll be, uh, before we, we began the show, when he had a previous, uh, small conversation, short conversation. And that is, I want to understand what he did in his last election because he was successful in his last election, this primary that just was completed in June. He uh, defeated a Chicago police officer running with the support of the fraternal order police in one of the most Republican areas of Chicago. Uh, and I believe that Democratic strategists throughout the state of Illinois and the United States should be listening to this conversation and taking notes because the future of our country is at stake in November and it'll largely hinge on whether the Democrats can hold the House and hold the Senate, at least hold the Senate, the House, because of gerrymandering Rob Martwick. I'm not quite certain that Dems, even if they follow the Rob Martwick playbook, uh, can be victorious. Uh, but the, the Senate is in play. That is clear. And gubernatorial races throughout the state, which are hugely important, are in play. So there are lessons to be learned from Rob Martwick's last campaign. Democratic strategist, take out the notebook, take out your pen, take notes. Or if you're a millennial, you could do it on your computer. All right. So, Rob, why don't you set the stage? Tell folks a, uh, a little bit about your district, both in terms of where it is on a map and sort of this, like the political demographics of it. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, I'm on the very far northwest side of the city of Chicago. I, I take in some of the suburbs that are just on the outskirts of the city, Norwich, Harwood Heights, Schiller Park, Rosemont. But other than that, I have all of those uh, areas of Chicago that abut not only those suburbs, but ones I don't represent, they abut Park Ridge, they abut Niles. And, you know, I, I was out knocking on doors this last primary, and one side of the street is the city of Chicago, and the other side of the street is Park Ridge or Niles. And, um, you know, because of that, a lot of the uh, city workers who are forced to live in the city but would rather live anywhere but the city live as far out onto those reaches. And when you get into those, not just those areas, 41st Ward, 38th Ward, but those precincts where they are as far out as you can get, the concentration of police officers climbs pretty dramatically. You see four, five, six, seven police officers on every block. It's it's truly copland. Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting, uh, I love the way you framed it, Ben, because, you know, we took on the issue of police reform in Illinois, and I supported that, um, not, not as simply as it would be dumbed down for my race, but nonetheless, you know, I believe in that, that any government body, especially those that have uh, the incredible power uh, that we give to our police officers to take away liberty, to take away life, and to have, you know, the the official power from the government to do those sorts of things. Um, we should always be looking to make the way that they do their jobs better. We should always be looking to reform. So that was easy for me to support that. But of course, as you mentioned, the FOP decided that that made me publicly public enemy number one. And running in the district that I did with the highest concentration of police officers of any legislative district in the state of Illinois, um, you know, it, it certainly was concerning when we entered the race. Um, as you mentioned, as we get towards the end of the race, um, we won handily. 67% of the vote 
against a Chicago police officer, mom, mother of two, married to a Chicago firefighter, I believe a captain in the Chicago Fire Department. So, you know, the first responder family with the kids living on the Northwest side, and they figured that was the recipe for beating me. And, and as I said, we beat them pretty handily. All right. Uh, let, so let's go back to uh, further set the stage uh, about this campaign. And um, the last time we were in the show, you really uh, laid it out. So the head of the Fraternal Police in Chicago, John Catanzara, is probably, and this is me speaking, not Rob, the maggiest MAGA man in the city of Chicago. I believe he wins the crown. Uh, no doubt about it. He loves Donald Trump so much that he usually is wearing a Donald Trump uh, T-shirt. I'm not making this up. This is Johnny Catanzara. That's who he is. He's proud of it. Uh, and the Chicago uh, Fraternal Order Police elected him as their president. Uh, he made it clear that uh, Rob Markwick was public enemy number one because Rob voted for that criminal justice uh, measure uh, in the, well, I think it was 2019, I want to say, anyway. Uh, and um, uh, as such, he uh, ordered, commanded... <laughs> The uh, alderman in uh, Rob's area uh, to endorse uh, Rob's opponent. Uh, when Rob came on the show last time, two of those aldermen uh, had rebelled against uh, John Catanzaro's order and command, Anthony Napolitano, uh, Nick Spazzato. Uh, and they said, no, uh, we're uh, going to stick with Rob Martwick. Well, Napolitano, he later caved. Uh, wouldn't want to be in a foxhole with that guy. Uh, Nick was true to his word. Uh, Nick Spazzato and I don't agree on a lot of things, to put it mildly, but at least he was true to his word. Uh, Nick Spazzato is a firefighter, and his union uh, supporter, uh, Martwick. I don't, any firefighter in the city of Chicago who doesn't support Rob Martwick, this is me speaking, not Rob Martwick, should look in the mirror, because he took the heat for you guys on your pension issue. So that's a lot of loyalty there, firefighters. Anyway, Napolitano got nervous, and he, uh, I guess he flipped, and I uh, did whatever John Catanzaro said. Go ahead. And to be fair, he, he, he does represent the largest concentration of police officers. And he said that he heard from his constituents that, that they just, that, that, that my vote on that bill was just nothing that they could stand for. And therefore he just felt compelled. He had a, a an awakening. I'm, I'm sure the $55,000 contribution from the fraternal order of police had nothing to do with it. That was just coincidental. Um, so, but he did switch from saying he was not going to endorse Aaron Jones to actually doing it. But, you know, I'm sure he had very good reasons. All right. Fair. See how fair he is? He, you, do you think John Catanzaro, ladies and gentlemen, would have been fair if he was talking about me? <laughs> so I'm just telling you, Rob Martin was a very uh, fair guy. Uh, all right. So, uh, that's a lot to be up against you know i mean uh and, and ben it's it look if let, let's put it this way it's an anti-incumbent sentiment i live in an area where there are a lot of police officers who feel and and i think um rightly so that they're in the crosshairs because there is so much going on with criminal justice and and police reform, and they are, I mean, they're inextricably tied to it. So they should feel like they're in the crosshairs and they feel like they've gotten the short end of the stick. Um, whether that's true or not is irrelevant. The fact that they feel it is what matters in an election, right? And um, I, I would argue that they haven't gotten nearly as good as they've gotten. And I would say that that problem is 
primarily who represents them in Springfield, John Catanzara. But but nonetheless, so I'm running against, in an anti-incumbent sentiment, a middle-aged, lumpy white guy with a gray beard is running against a younger female police officer married to a firefighter. And, it, and again, let me point this out. At the moment that Roe v. Wade is overturned. So all of the 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 what was existing at the moment um, looked like it should be a election that we should be really concerned about. So you ended up with did you, what did you say sixty seven percent of the vote? Yeah. Wow. So what led to your victory with sixty seven percent of the vote? What what were the themes that you articulated, uh, and how did you go about capturing sixty seven percent of the vote? Well, um, a number of reasons, and, and uh, not the, the least of which was that when it came to criminal justice reform and police reform, we did the hard work of going out and talking to voters about what was done. And, you know, the, the simple response, he's anti-cop, that's easy. But it, it always leaves, it's so simple that it leaves a shred of doubt. And so those people who would hear that message, when we came and explained what we did and why we did it, um, even police officers really understood what was going on. Again, I would point out that this is the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. They spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. They were constantly haranguing their members and calling them up and saying, go out for Aaron Jones. I would say the only way I get to 67% is if I probably won most of the police officers. Um, and so I would say, first and foremost, how do you do that? Well, you do it by going to the doors and explaining yourself and talking about what you're doing. And when you do that, you create a contrast, right? The MAGA movement, I mean, I'll never forget, because you brought this up with the MAGA connection here, and it, whether it's directly connected or just following the playbook, I'll never forget the first time my partner walked uh, my in my law firm, walked into my office and dropped a Donald Trump card. And this is way early on in the Republican primary back in 16, 15, actually, really. And and it just said, you know, um, build the wall, make them pay for it, you know, make America great again. And I said, that's a terrible card. There's there's nothing there, but just a couple of hot button talking points. It was genius, really was. Right. And that's what they've become, as they've said. For those people who are too busy with their lives to understand the issues, we're just going to give you that zinger, and they've become very good at it. And so I think that, you know, as you mentioned, where's the lesson in this? The lesson is is that the victories are there, but they're not going to be easy for us. They own the zingers. We have to own the explanations, and that's that's not where you want to be, but that's the hand we're dealt. The good news is, is that if you do it and you talk to people— when you give them the explanations, you build credibility. And I think that's the other key here. Um, my opponent walked around telling people she was a pro-choice Democratic woman. And that's easy to say. I'm pro-choice. Okay. But we had a post from her on social media in which she called abortion providers rapists and sexual predators. Okay. So when you go to the door and you explain that to people, well, now... I am pro-choice. Okay. I have no reason not to believe you. But now when I show your words, now people say, well, wait a minute. 
If you're not credible on that issue, what else are you not credible on, right? And I think that that's, you know, as we we begin to talk about the bigger picture, I think that's the case with other candidates too. They'll say what's convenient and what's easy. If you do the hard work and the homework, you can find out those things that poke credibility. And I think that's Democrats' path in the fall. All right. Uh, And uh, we took at length. Uh, we talked about the criminal justice bill the last time we were on the show, and I don't really want to recreate that conversation. I urge everybody to check out that. Uh, if you want to know uh, uh, what was in that measure and uh, what Rob's contributions were to that measure. Uh, that said, that bill, as I understand it, was uh, prevailed in the Senate by more than one vote. Am I correct? It did. Uh, it won by more than one. I want to say it was three or four. Okay, three or four. Uh, so the maestro, the master of the legislative process in the state of Illinois, no longer around, but uh, Rob Martwick and I know a little bit about him. Michael Joseph Madigan uh, would have told a young Rob Martwick, if you want to vote no, because it's a safe thing to do in your district, go ahead, vote no. I got the votes I need to pass it. Or more likely, he would have stalled it for another four years so he could squeeze people for co- campaign contributions. But another conversation for another time. All right. Um you nonetheless voted yes. Uh, in retrospect, you'd have had an easier time if you had voted no. If you had just said, Johnny Kent and Zara, uh, I'll give you my no vote. Uh, Napolitano suddenly would have found, you know, the courage to uh, endorse you. Uh, and uh, who knows if you would have even been challenged. Uh, why vote yes if it's unpopular with such a, a strong uh, segment of your district? Well, as I look, I've always said from the very beginning, and, and uh, I said I'd rather lose my job doing something than keep my job doing nothing. As it is, it, it, while that may be the case, and I've, I've lived by that, I, I confess that when I first got my opponent, I thought, oh, I guess I'm going to find out if that's going to come <laughs> to pass, you know? Um, I was a little nervous about it. I can I confess that. Um but it was the right thing to do for a number of reasons, um, not the least of which was that I actually gave police officers a seat at the table. I advocated for the things that were important to them in the process. And I, I saved a couple of really important protections for them that they themselves told me the two most important things that they needed were collective bargaining rights, which was easy for me. The bill originally eliminated collective bargaining rights. And I, 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 I fought Bruce Rauner for four years over that, so I wasn't going to give in just because the Democrat proposed it. And the other was qualified immunity from lawsuits. A lot of debate, discussion about it. But I do believe that police officers need qualified immunity. I think all public servants need some level of immunity from lawsuits. Otherwise, why do the job? And so I fought for those things and I achieved them. And, and so that alone, when you engage, and, and this is going to lead to part two of this, is that when you engage in the legislative process, you ha- it's a human process. It's a human process. People have to have uh, faith in you. They have to trust you. You have to have goodwill. And when you engage in the process and you get what you demand, you're obliged to vote yes. So I voted yes. Um, I also believed it was the right thing to do. I, I do believe we need greater accountability and more transparency. And we need police officers to do a better job, have more training and be better at their jobs. We clearly have a problem with policing. Now, what I would say is that has borne itself out. Um, my reasons for voting for this, um, I've never felt more secure that I did the right thing than after this campaign. Think about it. The one group that has the biggest voice saying, 
we don't need any more police reform, back the blue, trust our police officers, is the FOP. And yet from the very beginning of this campaign to the very end, all they did was break the rules. Literally, from the start to the finish, they were dishonest. And then, like, literally, I, there's contribution limits, right? We have campaign finance reforms that say no more than 59.9. They used every tool to get around the campaign finance reforms. And it's like, we're trying to tell you, as a segment of our public sector employees, police, we need you to follow the rules. We need you to be the good actors. And the FOP literally broke every rule in the book. And so, if the if the group that speaks on behalf of police officers is going to break the rules, what does that say about their leadership of, of the rank and file, right? And so um, without a doubt, we needed those things. And that's why I voted yes. I'm glad I did it. Um, I, I, I had hoped that I would get through this. I'm glad that I did. And, and I think more importantly, I'm glad that I did it in such resounding fashion. And I can't remember the answer to this question. Uh, do you have an opponent, a Republican opponent, in the November's general? I actually just cannot remember the question. As of yet, the answer is I do not know. So there is a, a process by which um, the other party, if there is no one who files to run in the primary and they can appoint someone, um, will know on July 25th. So that's the date that, that that opponent will appear or not appear, as the case may be. So. All right. Uh, so to apply again the lessons that you've learned from your recent campaign, where again he won sixty-seven percent of the vote, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and uh, to uh, Democrats uh, running in the face of MAGA opposition throughout the country, uh, let's talk about the issue of law and order. And I began the show by noting that uh, Willie Wilson, who's running for mayor of the city of Chicago, is now just saying essentially uh, we lock him up. Yeah, I believe is. I'm paraphrasing, but we must uncuff the police and uh, handcuff the bad guys. That's essentially what he said. Uh, and um, uh, the sentiments in, uh, expressed in that sentence uh, sort of run counter to sort of the sentiments uh, in the criminal justice reform bill uh, and also the uh, federal criminal justice reform bill that uh, Donald Trump was so proud uh, to have passed. Just want to point that out, uh, MAGA, uh, your guy. Uh, passed that uh, legislation. Was very proud of it. Uh, so, but in, in a time when the papers are filled with stories of crime, uh, in a time when people uh, have legitimate concerns and they are legitimate, they always are. Um, how do you, Rob, deal with uh, Republican opponents who just you know run on those kind of scare the public tactics? Yeah, I'll go back to what I said. I think it's doing the hard work. You know, um, if I had to sum it up, um, you know, the world has become, as you can imagine, when I when Aaron Jones filed against me, the number of internet trolls with fake screen names about tripled for me. Right, so Facebook was just I was getting lit up on Facebook, and so so here's the message to Democrats. Um, if you care, if you want to win, if you want to, if you believe you're right, um, and you want voters to believe that we're right and stay on the path that we're on, put down the keyboard and pick up a clipboard and go out and talk to people, um, restore justice, um, which is a group that advocated for, uh, criminal justice reforms, the People's Lobby, which is a strong advocate of criminal justice reforms, police reform, and um, 
um, ending cash bail, they came out in droves and they went out and said, we're going to do, we're going to go door to door and we're going to have the tough conversations. They sat in a room, phone banking, talking to people, getting the phone slammed down, getting in. But when they talked to people, they, they took the time and they said, let me, let me tell you why. And, and it, it really made a difference. But like I said, you, you got to put down the keyboard and pick up a clipboard and go talk to people face to face. That's where you'll get your audience. That's where you'll get an opportunity to explain and that's the difference. And, you know, I, I'm sorry to see that Willie is uh, doubling down on, on what is um, a failed strategy. You know, that's what they said. Take the handcuffs off the police and put them on the criminals. That's what my opponent said. So I don't know. Uh, Willie's obviously not a listener of the show, Ben, because uh, I don't know why he would think that that would be a 33%, Willie. 33% is what that message got you in, in the area that is is mostly police officers, right? So it doesn't work, right? Um, what we talked about was, hey, we need to have this holistic approach, right? We need to, number one, first of all, we've got a police department that is suffering, and you can see it in the results. They've got incredibly low clearance rates. The clearance rate, not even the clearance rate, never mind the clearance rate, the arrest rate on reported carjackings in the city of Chicago is 4%. 96% of the reported carjackings, they never even make an arrest. So, like, you you can, never mind lock them up and throw away the key, you can hang them from their toenails from the Picasso. But if 96% of them are going to get away with it, that's, that's, that does not prevent anybody from doing the crime. That is not a deterrent in any way, shape, or form. If you want deterrence, deterrence comes through justice, right? So we know that we need police officers to do a better job. So we invested in training and technology, crime labs, to give them the tools and the training to be better at their jobs. We believe that we can have better police officers if we invest in them. But we also believe that the best way to solve crime is to reduce the number of people that need to be arrested in the first place. And, you know, Los Angeles and New York have had a decade of anti-violence initiatives, and they've worked. They've reduced the number of violent uh, crimes and violent and, and shootings in those cities. We've had three years of of anti-violence initiatives, neighborhood-based anti-violence initiatives, and so we believe in investing in anti-violence initiatives, more opportunities for better educational. Um, opportunities and outcomes for, for our school children, get, you know, investing into more MAP grants so kids can go to college. You know, if kids go to college, they generally don't become arrested and part of the criminal justice system, right? And so, so you know, we're, we're investing in those things, mental health, after school resources, uh, um, uh, you know, the things that, that are going to give people opportunities to get ahead. And when we took that message to the door, they said, gee, lock them up and throw away the key. Sounds good, but this sounds better. Right. And, and so, um, you know, that's what I hope we find a mayoral candidate who understands it is willing to do is, is to, um, that we need this really wholesale approach to solving crime and, and, and not just solving crime, but, but working on that violence prevention, crime prevention, giving people opportunities. That's the right way. Give people a, a quality life outside of crime and then they won't go into it in the first place. All right, uh, let's move to uh, the abortion issue. Uh, and, uh, you know, before 
the Roe ruling came, uh, or the Dobbs ruling, I should call it, uh, came eradicating Roe, uh, almost every prognosticator, uh, political prognosticator in the country said, no way the Dems hold the Senate. They're going to get clobbered in the House. I had a, somebody come on the show, I think 70 seats, they predicted that the Dems would lose in the House, a devastating loss uh, for the Dems in the House of Representatives. Uh, the Republicans would take over and they would end uh, the January 6th insurrection investigation and immediately begin proceedings to impeach Joe Biden. Uh, so that's kind of the madness that would prevail if uh, the Republicans took control, if MAGA took control of the House. Uh, now, uh, in the... Uh, in light of Dobbs, the prognosticators are saying, whoa, 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 whoa Nelly, uh, the, uh, the Dems have a very good chance of holding on to the Senate, maybe even picking up a seat or two. Uh, still, they're predicting the Republicans will win in the House because uh, the Republicans gerrymandered the hell out of the districts, so they have an, ad an advantage. Um, but uh, so talk about abortion as a force uh, in uh, the upcoming election. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. Those of us who are so deeply into it, um, we, we tend to think that uh, your average voter, your average citizen understands the complexities and the nuances of these sorts of things, and they do not. And proof of that is that when Roe was overturned with the Dobbs decision, there were women in Illinois who thought that was it, that abortions were gone in Illinois, and that's not the case. We actually had passed the Reproductive Health Act to ensure that abortion access would continue unrestricted in the state of Illinois. Um, but it's amazing how when I was at the doors, women didn't know that. Um, what I would say is that I doubt that the Supreme Court contemplated um, the political fallout or really even cared. I think that this was an ideological decision that the conservative justices felt like now or never and this is what we believe in so let's get her done and they did i don't think they really contemplated what the political fallout is but i can tell you this when i was out knocking on doors quite a bit of it the skepticism that i felt from women when i would talk about this issue was palpable it was thick it was viscous. I was like, holy moly. And I could talk about abortion, but as they listened, you could just see that they're like, I get, I hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, but I don't want to hear them coming from you. Um, I think that the loss of abortion, access to abortion services, loss of bodily autonomy is a personal decision that people like you and I simply cannot understand, Ben, because of our gender. And I think that, and, and I saw that, like, women were like, it was only the third party validation of, of other women or organizations that stand up for it, that allowed me even to talk to people about this issue, because they, it, it's so personal, it's so devastating. Even if when women hear that you're safe here in Illinois, there is this sense of, well, that ain't good enough because think of all the women that are not safe and think of all the women in all of these other states that have lost this freedom. And that is just like a chink in the armor. Bodily autonomy should be universal. And just because I get to keep it, if half the country doesn't, that's not good. And so I think that we're going to see... Um, 
you know, I think we saw it in some of these primaries. I think women are motivated. Um, I think they're going to come out in force. And I think it's you, you're going to see an election that is uh, they're going to have a I would guess. I mean, I you know, I, this does not make me any sort of swami here or anything, but I think they are going to have a bigger effect on this election than than any they've had in the past. I think you're going to see them come out and they're going to vote on that issue. All right. I'm just going to follow up on this theme. Uh, yes, uh, abortion is currently uh, illegal. Uh, in the state of Illinois. Uh, yes, there are laws in the book uh, that establish that as a right. Uh, yes, uh, the Rob Markwick uh, and uh, the other Democrats uh, stripped from the books the uh, language that would have immediately made abortion illegal in the state of Illinois uh, had Roe been overturned. That was the uh, the bill that was passed in 2017 signed by Bruce Ron of, of all people. That's all true. If, however, Darren Bailey is elected governor, uh, if Tom DeVore is elected attorney general, if Mark Curran is elected to the Supreme Court uh, coming out of Lake County, there is a very real possibility, Rob Bartwick, that the movement to eradicate abortion rights in Illinois will begin January of 2023, uh, and there will be bills, there will be legal challenges. Uh, this is a very fragile right, in my humble opinion. I, I agree. I, think, I agree. I think go. that they will go right at it. Um, they've, that's been their campaign promise. And, you know, Bailey, now that he's in the general, he's trying to moderate, you know, it's, it's set law, it's set law. Gee, that sounds like a settled law. sounds like something that I, I heard a couple of Supreme Court justices say about that, you know, and uh, right. And, and boy, they sure had a change of heart once they got on the bench. Um, no doubt. And, and I think there's a, this is really important for people who care about this issue is that, um, we've the words you've heard used is that Illinois is a beacon of hope for reproductive justice, right? Where this Island in the Midwest where women will be able to come and, but we're more than that. If there's any hope of reversing this, and I really believe that this will be multi-generational to reverse it, right? Um, it's going to take more than one generation to reverse what happened here. It's not going to, happen overnight. But if we're going to do that, then that means you have to start from this base that we have in Illinois and build out into Iowa, into Wisconsin, into Michigan. As they now all lose their reproductive care, you have the power here to start influencing those elections, changing those states to blue, gerrymandering them back the way the Republicans did to take back Congress and enact the sort of laws that Biden is talking about, right? And so that's going to be multi-generational. But if we lose that base of power here in Illinois, it's game over. It's game over. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, I hope uh, the J.P. Pritzker campaign uh, is aware of this. Uh, and I'm going to say something that I believe, uh, and then get your response. Uh, I was uh, dubious, to put it uh, <laughs> euphemistically, uh, about the, the strategy of the Dems to fortify, essentially fortify Dara Bailey's campaign. 
uh, by running ads that positioned him as the most conservative candidate in the race uh, in order to win him credibility with conservative voters. I take very seriously the threat that MAGA represents to democracy in the United States, and I don't want to do anything to fortify that threat. We now have a MAGA man running in Illinois. we got a MAGA man running in Pennsylvania. Uh, and we saw what MAGA is willing to do in January 6, 2021, when it comes to winning elections. So I take the threat that they represent very seriously. Uh, Democratic strategists tell me, oh, Ben, you don't understand how the game is played. Uh, the polls show that he's easier to beat. That's why we did it. Sit, do your little podcast, talk in your microphone, look over your alley, and leave the, the politicking to us. I'm nervous about it, uh, Rob Martwick. Uh, what's your thoughts about the strategy that Dems employed uh, to help Darren Bailey uh, become the Republican nominee? Well, um, again, I, 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 I want to echo your analysis of it, that I think it's fine to do it. Um, however, it's risky. Right. I mean, you 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 risk that if things go sideways, if something happens um, that you if something happens that makes JB not viable between now and Election Day, what are you left with? And um, I doubt that they would win the General Assembly. But as you said, it's it's very dangerous. And I'll go one step further, Ben. I I don't think January 6th is the worst thing that happened um as it's related to MAGA, I think what's happened that's worse than January 6th is the absolute refusal to acknowledge the, the, how bad it was, to just dismiss it. Like, And, and if I hear one more time legitimate political discourse, um, I don't know how trying to to have a coup and take over the country by illegal means to threaten the very fabric of our democracy to... Uh, you know, to, to the, the peaceful transfer of power that's been established since George Washington, who could have been king and said, no, that's not what we want. There's nothing more unpatriotic than that. And yet it, it's amazing to me that MAGA refuses to acknowledge that anything was wrong about January 6th. That's crazy. I mean, Republicans, by and large, when Watergate came out, which is nothing compared to January 6th, Watergate was yeah. sneaky politics, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and, yeah. <laughs> and they acknowledged yeah. it, and, and Nixon was gone. Here they're venerating this guy. He's still the leading candidate for the Republican nomination. It's crazy. Oh, uh, I'll go one step further. I just, right before we did the show, uh, read the latest article on the subject from the Washington Post, which I obsessively read. It's confession. <laughs> I follow national politics. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump, the, the right now, he's the decision he has to make is, does he hold back on his uh, presidential announcement that he's running for re-election uh, until after the primary, uh, uh, excuse me, after the midterms, or does he do it before the midterms? Uh, and right now, the uh, Trump insiders off the record, or with, not for attribution, are saying it's a 70% chance he's going to do it before uh, the midterm. So it, it, he, <laughs> he is a force. It's not just that they acknowledge, uh, they call it legitimate political discourse. They're ready to bring back the man who led the coup, the attempted coup. Uh, very frightening that the Republicans have not learned at all uh, from this lesson, Rob Martwick. Can I, can I tell you the most troubling thing that I saw during this election cycle? 
I'm up knocking on doors in, in Norwood Park, the neighborhood of Norwood Park in Chicago. And I'm with a volunteer. And as we're walking down the street, the volunteer says, oh, look at that. I've never seen that before. Why would anybody fly, fly an all black flag, just a piece of black fabric? And I said, I don't know. And as I got up closer, I noticed it was an American flag, not black with the blue line, um, no white stitching, no white elements, all black. It was an American flag stitching all the stars, the stripes, everything were all black. And I, I couldn't help myself. I looked it up on Google. If you want to be scared, Ben, look it up on Google. It is um, a signal to the rest of the world that MAGA is coming back and whatever means necessary including lethal force just putting you on warning that's what we're going to do to take back our to take back america for the maga crowd that's that is just it is just i i can't believe it it's crazy that someone would fly that flag in the city of chicago well uh i presume that person flying the flag was not a rob martwick uh a supporter in the last surprisingly election. he was not on my list of voters to talk to so <laughs> i skipped right past that door all right. Uh, and so uh, let's talk uh, guns. And um, uh, it, uh, we're around one week out uh, after the uh, mass shooting in Highland Park, which uh, followed mass shooting in Chicago uh, throughout the city. Uh, it, does, it seems as though um, a day doesn't pass, and you know this, Rob, without reports of uh, gunfire uh, all over this country. How potent an issue do you think uh, guns will be? When I say guns, the movement uh, to have some sort of, I'm supposed to call them gun safety measures adopted, as opposed to sort of this laissez-faire attitude uh, that we've had for the last 20 or so years where we just let shootings come and go without any response. So, uh, you know, I, I think my answer is complicated. I know what it's like in my district, but I represent the city of Chicago, even the northwest side, which is, as you said, more conservative. But it's still the city of Chicago. I don't know what it's going to be like downstate. Um, I'm always amazed by uh, how there is just an entirely different culture around guns in rural and downstate communities. But what I would say is that um, for those, since we're talking about, you know, elections and winning the state as a whole, I would say that in suburban Cook County, um, you know, the collar counties and certainly in Chicago, uh, when I knocked indoors, if I, if I always, you know, introduce myself and I ask them, uh, what's on your mind? Open-ended question. What's on your mind? Now, to be fair, half the people said mm, nothing, right? But the other half said, Nine times out of 10, if they said they had an issue, nine times out of 10, it was public safety. 90% of the time, public safety. That would make you think, uh-oh, well, how are they going to interpret it? And clearly it wasn't lock them up and throw away the key or take the handcuffs off the police. It was, I'm concerned about gun violence. And so, right, I think voters get that. We we need to do something to rein in the the flow of illegal guns into our streets. And um, shootings are up everywhere. They're up in the suburbs. They're up in the city. They're up in rural areas. They're up in Texas. They're everywhere, right? And I think people are starting to 
I, I believe that gun safety is going to be an issue. I really do. And I think it's an issue that, that we can win on because, again, it, it already started when, when we were closing in on the primary and people were talking about Darren Bailey. I said, I guarantee you they've already got the video set up where Darren, because Darren Bailey loves to post videos of himself shooting things, right? And I said, they have already got the TV commercials with him shooting. And sure enough, just yesterday, I saw videos of Darren Bailey shooting the budget with his AR-15 and talking about how you're not going to get the guns out of his hands. I think it's going to be an issue in this election. All right. And final, uh, we, we could do a whole show on this. Uh the uh, poll I saw in the New York Times when I asked people what their number one concern was, uh, the economy and inflation. Now, I don't believe that was uh, an issue in uh, your campaign. Uh, you were, again, it was a Democratic primary. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it's an issue that the Democratic Party has to face. Uh, and under, under normal circumstances, I'd say it would be to the advantage of the Republicans uh, that uh, prices are going up as we head into uh, a midterm. So what's uh, your advice to national Democrats uh, uh, on this, how to deal with inflation as an issue in the the November elections? You know, it's tough because um, inflation is an issue that is driven by the economy, not by politics, right? And um, when we felt that issue, when people talked about inflation, I said, you know, my my favorite example was... um, Shell um, filed a uh, quarterly earning statement of $9 billion of, wait, wait for it, wait for it, excess profits, $9 billion in excess profits, wait, in one quarter, right? And why? Because, and the answer was because they were, they were capitalizing on instability in oil prices, Right. And that's what happens, right? So, you know, on the one hand, we've got Republicans that scream about get the government out, less regulation, let it be a free market economy. And then this is what happens when there's a free market economy. The corporations take advantage of it. They gouge the consumer for excess profits. Um, and, and then the Republicans scream, well, the government should be doing something about it. So, you know, it, it's a tough issue. I, I think Democrats need to focus on um, jobs and tax relief. I think that's got to be our path forward. That's what we did here in Illinois was, Hey, I I can't control the economy. We all know that, um, there with COVID and wars, there are problems that are beyond our control, but we can work on making sure that you're, that good jobs are available and we can make work on making sure that there's tax relief and affordable housing. So people aren't put on their homes. Mm. Well, to that point, we'll close with this. Uh, the advice that uh, Pat Quinn, when he comes on the show, gave about the fair tax initiative from the get-go, from the absolute get-go, he said it should be immediately attached to a property tax relief uh, so that folks would actually be voting on whether they want to give themselves a break. T- you got to give Pat Quinn credit, Rob Bartwick. I mean, it's like then the, the deciding uh, – issue in that referendum is not whether you raise Ken, Kenny G's uh, taxes, but whether you give yourself a property tax uh, break. Uh, that, that, yeah. was, that was my counsel to the governor and his staff, but, um, you know, they chose to do it their own way. And, uh, you know, I had filed a bill long before J.B. Pritzker had even thought about running for governor that would have done just that. 
and uh, you know, it would have, and I think that's key. I, I was talking to someone just the other day. We need to, people need faith in government that you're going to do the right thing. And so if you dedicate that revenue to solving problems, they'll give you the leeway to do it. They just don't want you to take a blank, blank check. So. Absolutely. By the way, I'll, well, with, uh, I'll withstand the uh, <laughs> temptation to talk about when you filed that bill, because that was the bill that they used uh, to, uh, uh, they report by uh, brothers and sisters in this profession used to bombard uh, Pritzker, candidate Pritzker, with questions. Well, the Marwick bill uh, has a tax rate increase of X amount. Uh, and then J.B. Pritzker earned the nickname uh, J.B. Travolta, the way he danced around that one. He uh, sure did. He was magnificent. <laughs> yeah, Sugar Ray Pritzker or J.B. Travolta, whichever one you like. Uh, Rob Martwick, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. And Thanks, it's always man. a pleasure. And congratulations on your win. Thanks so much. All right. That's great. Rob Martwick. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.